Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the empty container marketplace with my friend Sean Barden. Guys, we know during the pandemic how desperate we were for containers. They always seem to be in the wrong place. And not much has changed. There's not as much demand right now for containers, but we still have a ridiculously antiquated process for moving them around. So you have importers, exporters, trucking companies, and the steamship lines who own most of those containers. And we don't always do a great job of managing that process of moving those containers around. So today's topic is the empty container marketplace with my friend, Sean Barden. And Sean and his partners over at Qual have created technology to streamline this. And if you're using their technology, you're going to have less miles empty. (laughs) We have a lot of drayage miles that are empty. We're hopefully going to have fewer containers in the wrong place at the wrong time. So very interesting what they've created. And I think it's long overdue. We streamlined so much of the supply chain, but this is an area that's still not streamlined the way it should be. And by the way, it's not just Qual and a few guys. They've got the support of big steamship lines. So take a listen. But before we get to the interview, I want to introduce you to my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K Logistics tusklogistics.com. Tusk is a new small parcel shipping network. So forever we've had UPS, FedEx, and the Postal Service, and they're great, but you're never going to get a big discount from them. You're never going to save a lot of money working with them. At Tusk, you can. You can save 40%. If you're an e-commerce company that does a lot of shipments, if you're a warehousing company, you're doing a lot of shipments, you need Tusk. And what they've done is they've connected all these small regional uh, small parcel carriers that provide better service at a better price. And they've connected it with Tusk's technology. So you basically have almost entire net, the U.S. covered and 40% savings. So get over to tusklogistics.com and there's a button that says get started. Check them out. It's a can't lose scenario. So how's it going, Sean? Going well. Going well. How about yourself, Joe? Doing great, doing great. So, Sean, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. No problem. My name's Sean. I'm the co-founder and COO of Quale. I'm calling in here from North Hollywood, California, which is where I'm based. So you need to spell Quale for us. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's a a little intuitive. Uh, It's Q-U-A-L-L-E, Quale. And what do you guys do over at Quale? So we are a software platform that is allowing trucking companies to offer an exchange equipment with each other through an empty container marketplace and then also request that equipment for street turn directly with the steamship lines. And through doing that, reducing the amount of miles and the amount of trips they have to make to the port, bringing their margins up, reducing costs, and ultimately helping give their export customers more capacity and reducing the amount of idling and dwelling container equipment in importer yards, which we've heard so much about in the news recently. Yeah. And during during the pandemic, we heard so much about containers. And a friend of mine who was out in Los Angeles, not too far from you, I guess, he said we had a we were at a yard where we were leasing out some space and 
we leased it out to a container com- a company that had a whole bunch of containers. And he goes, there was thousands of them. We didn't know. We didn't count. We just knew there was thousands of containers out there. And he said, then one day there was went from thousands to a thousand to five hundred to a hundred. All of a sudden there was no containers. And I go. And he said, we, we didn't really, we weren't paying close attention to why. And then we're like, hey, are you, you still uh, interested in running the space, right? Because you're, you're under contract. They're like, we needed those containers. And he said, because I watched firsthand this crazy demand for containers. So we had, I don't know, if maybe we're over, we'll get into that in a minute. But during the pandemic, we couldn't get our hands on enough containers. Am I right? So during the pandemic, I can tell you, from experience and it wasn't just trucking companies it wasn't just importers raising the alarm everyone kind of suddenly became very hyper aware of the backlog that was happening at first people were looking at the import backlog right for example on the west coast where i'm based ships were 125 deep from long beach all the way back up to malibu which if you're familiar is a (laughs) with with la is a very long distance and on the same at the same time while we had all these imports coming in we had an excess at peak at the peak of the pandemic the peak of this backlog Matt Trapp the head of the Harbor Trucking Association would would do updates about this almost daily it got to about 125,000 containers in the greater Los Angeles and Long Beach port area complex right this and this is outside the terminal right and the terminals had no space There was so much coming in, so much of a backlog of containers coming in. There was already so much equipment in the yards, in outside the warehouses that they had to change zoning laws temporarily to allow to stack containers higher, right? Because there's safety issues if you stack containers too high. But it was to this point where we needed to facilitate, right? Where do we put them? What do we do with them? And there weren't a lot of good solutions on how to evacuate these or how to adjust the balances to different depots, right? And it's something that there was a lot of finger pointing going on with where was the blame, right? Steamship lines. The containers seemed like they were the um, the symptom of a bigger ill. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, to the average consumer out there, they were saying, where's my Wayfair couch? How come I haven't gotten my Ikea furniture yet? Or I can't find an electric shaver at Target anymore because we were going through those those place, those parts of the pandemic that everyone through those phases of right. hyper-consumer demand, right? The convenience of online shopping that we all know about. We've heard ad nauseum now. It that, made us feel better. Created this. <laughs> we suddenly had a lot of savings. We had a lot of money that we didn't spend on travel or commuting to work or gas, anything. And we said, hey, you know what? We can, you know, spend and improve a little bit on the home. I spent just mostly bought. on wine and nachos. I had COVID-19 <laughs> or 20. So I had to do oh, some of that. Oh, my gosh. But so I want to, not everybody is from a container or a freight forwarding background. The containers themselves, there's... I'm guessing millions around the world, and they are owned by the steamship lines, right? Yep. So depending on the market, where you are, what country you're in, right? Yes, they're they're all owned by the by the steamship lines or by leasing companies that lease them to the steamship lines. And 
So these are the big steel boxes you see, right? They come in many shapes and uh, many, <laughs> well, basically, th- usually three different sizes, 20 foot, 40 foot, and 45 foot. And then you also have 40 foot high cube, which just means a little taller. Those are the most common sizes and types of containers. And, you know, some of them are refrigerated. Some of them are standard for dry freight. And the majority of the time, the steamship lines, their whole goal is to make sure that they have empty boxes where the exports are, right? And for us in the United States, that means positioning the majority of their empty boxes in Asia, where especially from China, Malaysia, uh, Philippines, where we're seeing a lot more exports coming out, especially of this trans-Pacific route. They're positioning their empty containers in these areas so that they have, they can meet the demand of their customers, right? And what that means, I, and I've, I was on that side, right? I spent about four years working in China after I left school. And part of that time, I was consulting with companies from Europe and North America on how to, how the heck do I get started, right? Where do I begin when I say I want to get something shipped from China? I want to set up manufacturing to build a product or a medical device. I need Chinese FDA approval, and then I need to build it, and then I need to ship it. Who do I talk to? What is a freight forwarder, right? What is a steamship line? What is customs? What is what is drayage, right? All these terms that are very kind of intimidating if it's if you're it's your first time doing it. So part of my job in consulting was helping customers, like I said, from North America and, and Europe get set up and kind of navigate those typical pitfalls of how do I get started? And when it comes to the equipment, like you said, we see it as, okay, it's the box. The stuff is important. The container is not important. The problem is, and part of what we focus on at Quali is that the container is absolutely important. The container is, is, is very important even after it's empty, right? It's extremely important to manage that well because if you don't, it becomes a big problem, right? right. Like you said, it's, a, it's that symptom that everyone was talking about at the peak of the pandemic. Yep. So we'll talk more about your company in a minute. Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you you and your partner started Quale. Did I say that right? Quale? Yep. Quale. That's right. So where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you got started. In- yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in a really small town in Maine, in the mid coast, a place called Camden, just under 2000 people in the whole whole town. Um, you know, my high school was f- five different towns combined. <laughs> and my graduating class was still uh, barely 100 people. So you can imagine uh, I come to LA and I have friends here and they say, Oh, yeah, I think my graduating class was about 3000. <laughs> it's very different. It's a little it's very, it's very different. So I, I grew up there, didn't move around much. My you know, my father was from the UK. Mom was originally from New Jersey area, you know, daughter of immigrants. My grandparents both came over from Europe. And but originally I was I was super bored in Maine because growing up there, it's yeah, outdoors or and that's it. There's not much else to do. And it's sort of one of the reasons I think I I, I, I don't think so it's Maine. Out. I think it's the small towns. <laughs> I think it's small town. It's all, it's everyone, but it's you know there's general small town in America. Yeah, I, I kind of yearned for a lot more, like so many others, right? So I went to school in uh, New York. I went to State University at New York at Albany. So uh, to some people that's upstate. If to people in Albany that's the capital region, not really upstate. Upstate. It's not Buffalo. It's not you know anything like that. It's not Peru. New York. What'd you study? I primarily focused on Chinese 
inter- and international relations. At that time, I was more interested in government work. And then I actually minored in film at that time, too, because I, I, I was like, I, have to, I want to do something, too, that's sort of a passion. But I was focused on Chinese and, and international relations. Can't hurt. <laughs> yeah, couldn't hurt. And I, I studied abroad my junior year. I was staying in uh, Sichuan province in Chengdu, and, you know, and which was considered a smaller city in China. But I was able to get a full scholarship. 20 million I was, I was people, very, I guess. Yeah, a small city. of Yeah, <laughs> back then, I think, you know, obviously it's changed a lot in the, you know, the 10, 12 years since I've been there. But it's, uh, I think it was 10 million, 12 million at the time. Maybe, yeah, just a tiny little town in, in China. <laughs> but to me, obviously, it was, a, it was a big change. Even Albany was a big change for me from a little town in the mid coast of Camden. Sleepy, you know, just a sleepy little uh, port town. But I definitely always had a connection to the ocean. My father was a sailor for 16 years. He was a deckhand. So I think it's kind of fitting that I did get into ocean shipping eventually. But I went to school in in Albany, like I said, studied abroad in China for a year. Loved it. Was getting really into the culture. And then after that, I did a postgraduate program with Princeton. Nice. For my postgraduate. I was, again, very fortunate to get accepted and to get another scholarship. Like I said, I think they just don't have many people from Maine going after stuff like this, like focused <laughs> on China and international relations. They were just like, wow, very surprised. I don't think they're taking dumb people <laughs> though over there, though. Yeah. It's, it's the Ivy. And I decided after I did that program, part of it was here in the US and part of it was in, the, uh, was in China, was to stay there. And I, like I said, I ended up staying for another four years trying to navigate what I wanted to do. Who were you working for over there? Was it a, a consulting company or are you doing it on your so own? So there were two two different pieces. So I was working for uh, what was called the Zhongguancun, which is the Beijing Silicon Valley Group. And the Beijing Silicon Valley Group has hubs in different cities. So I split my time between uh, Suzhou, which is a very, I know you're more, a little more familiar with China, you said, but there, Suzhou is a lot of enterprise. So like the car manufacturers, like, on a, like a lot of them, a lot of other chemical companies have their offices there in Suzhou. It's it's about a 20-minute high-speed rail outside a uh, ride from Shanghai. Spent a lot of my time there. And then I was also going into Shanghai and then taking the train sometimes uh, to Beijing as well. But there I was sort of on a panel where I was evaluating Chinese companies that wanted to go abroad and take their products and services. And that's where I was starting from, was a little bit more on the tech side and a little bit more on the business side, uh, evaluating that and saying, okay, are these something that will succeed in a foreign market? What are they doing? What's their plan? What's their idea? Because again, I'm a very numbers, hence me being the uh, the COO at my current company. I I like to look at the details. I like to say, okay, does this make sense? What are the numbers? What's the plan? What's the mode? What's the method to the madness, right? And going through and analyzing these companies it was good. It, I was getting a little burnt out eventually after my time because I was doing that plus starting my own consultancy on the side with a with a business partner I had met there, a good friend of mine, Angie. And together we were doing what I was uh, referring to earlier, which was evaluating, which was uh, helping companies from North America and Europe get set up in China. How do I do business there, right? Helping them, for example, we were helping companies that were starting. I remember one of the first projects I worked on was a medical device for early detection uh, of lung cancer. And it was this really cool device. It was like a, uh, a pill that you actually swallowed. And it took, a, it took a really detailed imaging, basically, a safe imaging of your, of your lungs. Oh, because nice. over there, right, 
lung cancer rates are much higher due to the the, the pollution issue that they've been dealing with. Yeah, and they and they also smoke a lot more than we do. <laughs> they do. Uh, smoking uh, is on forest there. Yeah, it's only recently. I remember when the last time I was there. They just started putting up signs in clubs and bars saying, "Hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't oh, yeah. smoke here." <laughs> I, I think I was going, I was going to China in the '90s, and I remember all my friends that I worked with who smoked used to love to go to China because they, they you could smoke in the you building. could smoke anywhere. And you then anywhere. while I was there, they they said we're no longer allowed to smoke in the building. And oh my god, <laughs> people were still doing it, but but not as much. <laughs> there. Until very recently, I mean, I think the last regulation well, was around a, that, that was a was... half American company, so that was oh, okay. I think until 2015, 2016, was until they officially started putting out signage that may or may not be followed in the clubs and, and the bars. Oh yeah, but, yeah. It was it was, but uh, <laughs> this device was very interesting. So I remember that first case that I worked with because they were saying, "Yeah, we want to build it here. We just we don't know how to get started. We." How do we even get approval from you know a Chinese medical organization to to do that? And then when we want to distribute it, we want to do local dis- distribution, but then we also want to ship this internationally. How do we get set up to do that? And that was where I first dipped my toe into the supply chain, you could say, where I kind of caught the bug, right? Because people, you know, we get we get the bug where once you once you find out about supply chain, once you really get into it, it's can't it's hard that. to ex- you can't unsee it. You can't extricate yourself from that and and unsee the veil that's been pulled back of the the complexities of the world right every everything's amazing after you start working in supply chain right when you see that you know this milk this milk that's from you know another part of the country that got delivered here in in two days so it could still be fresh on your shelf now you it's it's a miracle once you know everything that had to go into into the the transportation the storage we took it for granted until covid right (laughs) We took it all for granted. No one cared. No one cared what I did until COVID. I will say that no one ever asked me about my job. I live here in Los Angeles, right? Lots of the people I know are in the film and TV industry. I think the first time <laughs> a lot of my friends actually sat down and said, "Sean, tell me about what you do." I'm really interested. Was like I said, right after you know, 2021, when things were at their peak and things weren't showing up on time. They're like, "Well, how does it work?" Why doesn't a truck just get here with my stuff? Why can't the ship just drop it off? Right, know. exactly. All, all those those little details start to become important. So is that when you started uh, Quale after that? No. So, yeah, I took the, the roundabout way. But we, I was doing that, as I said, I was doing two jobs at the time, doing the appraisals for the Silicon Valley Group, the Beijing Silicon Valley Group, and then working uh, consulting as well. And I was starting to get burnt out from... The work-life balance, the exchange rate not being so great from Chinese yuan to USD, and I was starting to miss the United States a little bit. So I actually made the move to come to America. I moved to Los Angeles because I wanted to go somewhere. I had a base. I knew there was still a lot of opportunities with shipping and supply chain as well. And so I was actually working for a fashion company, a retail company, helping them with their direct-to-consumer logistics going from the U.S. small parcel to China. So they would live stream fashion sales here in the United States for local brands and then sell them to Chinese uh, consumers. And so it was that rare, you know, kind of reverse. It was small parcel delivery primarily to China. And we're working, I was working with a logistics company called 4PX based out of Shenzhen. So through there, I had, I had, you know, dabbled now in small parcel as well as sort of the skew warehousing 
I was sort of touching this area, which I was less familiar with before, and really getting into the North American setup when it came to delivering internationally. And then I was at that company for around a year, and it was a Chinese company, so they really loved the fact that I was fluent in Mandarin. Uh, but a lot of the times, it was funny, I was, I was helping them with the logistics and the sales side. They wanted me to appear on the live streams and help. They said, Sean, you're, you're such an appeal. You're a, a white guy who's fluent in Mandarin. And, and you know, the, the people who are viewing it, the audience love it. And, you know, I, eventually I, I said, no, I want to focus on, you know, dealing with our customers. And I like dealing with supply chain because, as I said, I had the bug. So I wanted to keep going. And it was from there I made the jump over to trucking where it was I got into over the road and, and eventually container shipping and operations, which was uh, when I went to uh, Next Trucking. I was at Next Trucking for over, over two years. And that's sort of where we started to see the, uh, I started to see the problems when it came to why the heck are we doing it this way? That's when I started to ask those <laughs> questions that every founder of a company asks is, isn't there a better way? So right. when, when and why did you find found the company with your partners? So Tyler Sellers, our CEO, was an old colleague of mine at Next as well. And he saw a lot of the problems when it came, we were dealing with some of our customers there, where I remember specifically we were doing a really, we were doing a, a long haul drayage business, you know, out to, from the port of Long Beach all the way to Arizona, some a solar customer. And the problem was half of these, you know, just like traditional drayage, you pull them and load it all the way to Arizona. And then guess what? They're going back empty, right? All the way from Arizona, just, just trucks hauling empty containers. It's such a waste. And it hurts your margin too, if you don't. And so we had, the business was at a pretty thin margin. Like you said, trucking companies. You wanted backhauls for those. Wanted backhauls, right? Those- and so are you moving most of the time when you're moving a container, you have like just a chassis. Sometimes it's on a flatbed too, right? So most of the time when you're moving a container, it's rare that you're putting a container on a flatbed. That is an option. I've seen people I've do seen it. it. It's a, that's, it's not the <laughs> that's, primary. That's way when you're in a jam. Here. That's when you're in a jam. That's when you're at the peak COVID crisis and all the chassis are taken up too. And that's the part about container shipping, which is, which is really tough is that when I tell people outside of the industry, Hey, when you, just to get a container out of the port, deliver it and return it, the amount of hands it has to touch, right? And the amount of things that have to go right from getting the appointment, from it getting off the vessel correctly from the crane, from the rubber tire gantry unit, you know, reposition it from it getting staged so that it can be put on the truck to making sure the truck has the right wheels under it. And they'll stop me and they'll say, wait, 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 the container doesn't have wheels? It's like, no, no, no. The truck has to get wheels for the container. <laughs> It's such a tough concept. But, right. uh, and a lot of times those containers are being moved to a railhead and yeah. being put on a train to go all the way to Chicagoland usually. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. or New another... York and then taken by tr- a crane, put on another chassis. So these have a long route. <laughs> they have a long route, right, normally. But in that example, I was saying it's that, yes, we were looking for backhaul and because they're driving back with a container on a chassis, but the container's empty. And so in order to improve the margins on that account, our Tyler found a, a really large export customer that was doing scrap, one of the larger export scrap exporters in the country. And we were, we were starting to able to match up 
with their facilities, one that they had in Arizona and then some that they had in the Inland Empire here in Ontario, San Bernardino area. And it meant that when the trucks were coming back, they could just stop off, get filled with scrap, take it to the port. And it meant that we took this account that had you know a pretty thin margin. As we've said, like trucking companies, they don't run on big margins. So to a, a much larger one, it increased the profit margin by you know, almost 20% on those loads. Even if you can reuse, and, and that's what, what a street turn is, when you can reuse at least, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the containers right it doesn't have to be every single one even if you're able to reuse just a third of them it's a huge huge cost savings then so you what year did you guys start so we started our company in 2020 in 2022 tyler and i went full-time on the company with our co-founder jeff as well and we we launched our pilot program with Maersk in 2020 in May. Oh, that's a, that's a pretty big partner. How did you get Maersk to be uh, your, your partner? So, and that was for one location as well. That was for facilitating street turn requests in, in Los Angeles and Long Beach. It was a lo- it was a long process. It took, it took, a, we were talking to them for a long time. We, both of us knew that we wanted a tech forward partner and we knew that Maersk, as you said, like they're they're one of the top two steamship lines in the world, right? They're number one, you know, them and MSC keep uh, bumping each other out of the number one spot. And we were able to start facilitating these reuse requests for street turn in the LA Long Beach market with them. It, it was a lot and it was it, it took a long time to get started. And there were a lot of hurdles because we had to create solutions that were specific to the West Coast market as well. So what problem are you solving for steamship companies like Maersk? So the the big problem with with companies for companies like Maersk is that with the reuse requests is traditionally truckers they've had to go into different portals, different websites, different emails to request and reuse this. So just to get permission to use the container again, you have to ask first, right? That's the street, that's the request. And it's been really hard for them because each one of these is a different process. And so Quale wanted to standardize that first and say, hey, what if you could go to one place, one-stop shop to reuse, get the empties you need, and then reuse them, right? That's what we're trying to do here. And for Maersk, for a steamship line, if they're able to get more truckers reusing their equipment, it gets back on the vessel faster their import customers aren't paying as much in overdue fees like per diem because that container isn't dwelling in a yard as long. It's getting terminated faster, which means that their customers are happy when contract season comes up. And, you know, whether it's a large importer like a Walmart or a Target, one of these, you know, top 10 importers, if they see, look at their, their spend, they can say, okay, with this steamship line, I've, I've spent more on per diem, right? And they've been less flexible. This one I haven't. So I'm more likely to Put more of my bookings here and then third for a steamship line it they're able to get it back across the ocean again they're selling it again because remember they're getting paid by that exporter to ship it back whereas opposed to when it's empty they're not making any money on that no one's paying them to move that empty across the ocean they're just repositioning it for the next move so if let's just say somebody's selling something let's just say walmart i'm sure they get lots from china so let's just say walmart <laughs> wants to and they and they want to move something from china to the port 
and then it goes, let's just say, from Port of LA to some distribution center. Yeah. And now it now it's been emptied. And what you're saying is, is there any way we can help facilitate getting that filled up and moved back to the port? So that's and by the way, we should also mention for those who aren't doing it daily, that the vast majority of containers being shipped back to China or to Asia in general are empty. Yeah. Um in, in the US about we we typically are around seventy five percent 25% uh, import-export ratio in terms of how much we import versus how much we export. And it's interesting because it affects our trade deficit. You'd think this is something we can get into a little later as well, but you would think that the government would want to be more involved with something that directly affects what what our trade deficit is because the more exports we get out, right, the lower our trade deficit is, the better it is for us. And right now there's a bottleneck because exporters aren't getting all these containers, enough containers that they should, Right at peak pandemic, one of the really big problems, especially you heard it on the news, probably almond almond alliance here in California is very big. Almond farmers had millions and millions of dollars of product that just went to waste because it couldn't. Agriculture companies in general struggled during the pandemic to ship their product out of the U.S. and it cost them money. And it, it is interesting because we do talk about the every once in a while you hear a politician talk about the trade deficit. We're a wealthy country here in the United States, and we import a lot more than we export. And does that hurt your quality of life, Sean? Does it hurt mine? I don't think so. So, and by the way, um, it's it's just one of those things. I mean, if the government decides we're going to start managing that, I don't know how they manage it. And there's, I guess you could say, you're going to start selling more to overseas customers, Joe. Well, do I have to? No. I mean, it, it's not even mandating selling more. No. That's the problem, Joe. I, I wish it was that easy. But the the thing that's so sad about it is it's like saying you've already sold it or you're going to get paid. It's just because you didn't have a container, you didn't get paid. You didn't sell it. You weren't able to get it. That's what's sad. Let's go back to the Walmart example, too. So, yeah, Walmart has their empty in the distribution center. It's now it's now there. So it's empty. And what you're saying, maybe that's 40 miles from the port and maybe they can drive across the street and go to another warehouse or distributions or whatever, pick up, maybe it's scrap, as you said, and that, that's going to be exported to China. And they drive that back. And what you're saying, for the steamship line, they want that container being used all the time. Correct. They don't, when it's sitting, that doesn't do, the only time they want it sitting is when it's on a boat. <laughs> the rest of the time, they want it moving. Right? Correct. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something we're all about. In fact, we're, we, we So we your keep- pitch to these container com- steamship companies is, we're going to keep your containers moving. You'll need fewer containers. Your stuff is going to be, we're going to maximize the utilization of your asset, which is what we all want. Yes. It's it's maximizing the utilization of the asset. Every day we're talking to operators too in these steamship lines who say, you know, I don't have enough equipment in the market that I need it, right, for export customers that we have. And we're repositioning empties from other places, like you were saying, from Chicago, right? Inland markets especially struggle where, oh, we have empties in Long Beach, but we need some in Memphis. Or we have some in Norfolk, but we need them in Chicago. Or we have them in New Jersey, but we need them in Virginia, right? It's it's getting, it's getting yeah. them where they need to be. And the issue is they're there. They actually, the containers are there. They don't have the data. We don't that's have visibility the other, that's on the, it. <laughs> they don't have the visit. And now we're on that classic buzzword that I I, t- I typically like to avoid, which is visibility. Because 
what we're trying to do is it's more than visibility you get is that you get actionable data because it doesn't matter if you know that there that something happened if you have historical data that's fine that's great you know it happened it was there but you need to be able to action on it so what we do is instead you can say hey instead of sending a hundred containers by rail to to memphis to help your exporter we actually know that there's 15 truckers with 30 empties that your exporter could use and we can they can release to you and they'd be happy to because guess what they don't have to pay a driver to move it somewhere else they'll release it here so that now your exporter has that equipment so we're saving the steamship line as well on the cost of repositioning equipment and we're also reducing same thing it's one of those rare win-win wins Right. It and really we, is a win. Are we also, are, for containers, is there a lot of drop and hook in this business? Or Yeah, th- there is. There is. There's a lot so of explain drop what and hook. that well, is. At, 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 the, at the high volumes, especially. So when we're talking about, like you said, a Walmart, an Ikea, a Target, what, a lot of Explain what a drop and hook is for those who don't live it every day. So, yeah. So the drop and hook is when you, for example, pull a loaded container from the port. You will drive to the facility. Let's use the same example of Walmart. Let's say in San Bernardino, you drive your the container to Walmart's facility. You drop the loaded container. And before you leave, you, you t- unhooked it. You unhook it. You're not waiting. You don't go to a dock and wait for a couple of guys at the warehouse to unload the freight from the container. Instead, you are just dropping. You're unhooking the container, leaving it there. so that they With can- the chassis. With the chassis so that they can take care of it at the time that makes sense for them at the facility. And you are directly just grabbing from from a pool of empty containers with chassis already. So you just hook an empty and take that back instead. Yeah. And by the way, for those... For those who don't know, um, chassis are the it's just like a regular trailer, except it's um, it doesn't have the trailer piece. It just has the chassis and the wheels, right? It's just a wheel. It just it's just a bear. So when you hear you know, chassis, chassis, I don't want them thinking that we're dragging it. <laughs> we got wheels yeah, on yeah, that no. chassis. So no, no, no. So the advantage of drop and hook, especially in the now, is we don't have the driver waiting. I just had heard a stat the other day that a trucking company told me. For the live load and unload, they're waiting about three hours. Not waiting. The, the total the total transaction is three hours. And the problem with that is we want our drivers to drive. That's how we utilize our drivers. So if, if I can unhook, that's like really quick. It gets us down to like 37 minutes where we're, we're back on the road and much better. So anyway, getting back to the drop and hook, this also works well in, for you guys in that you guys are tracking where these – containers are it is we it's interesting because the model it works yeah it works with both drop and hook and with live load one of the advantages too is a lot of the exporters because uh, in the u.s that like we said we only export 25 percent. a lot of what we export is commodities you know recycled paper scrap uh even with food it's actually a lot of the times it's dumped in to a big container it's actually pretty quick load times and what that means is it's advantageous like you're saying for drivers who don't want to be stuck loading for extra time because as much as i say the advantages right i i'll be i'll be the first to admit that there are that there can be drawbacks if it's not coordinated right so you'll say 
great, you can save money, you can save time, you save sending a driver to the port by reusing a container. But, oh, what about, what if he has to go to this exporter and he has to wait for three hours? Then it's no good. Then you're wasting more time and it's, it's, not, it's not as helpful. It's still efficient. It's still better for the environment. You're still reducing miles. But the trucker experience is, is degraded, right? Right. And the good thing is a lot of these big high-volume exporters, their load times are 45 minutes right or less because it's usually there's even one uh, i remember there's a hay exporter here that we do we export hay and it just it's a really interesting machine it just hooks it and it tilts it up it dumps the hay in and then it tilts it back down <laughs> it's it's very it's very interesting to watch but it's extremely fast it's like 20 minutes it's 20 minutes and they're very efficient it's, it's even less uh, in some places but it's it's a it's a very good thing that we need to recognize is that with with drop and hook Yes, your your times are are very quick. Your turn time is what it's called is much faster as a driver. You don't have to wait. But the model when it comes to reusing for export, the model works both ways. Excellent. So, your customers, I know steamship lines, they own the containers, so they're obviously one of your customers. Now, how do they work with you? Is this a technology? Explain how you guys get paid and what they're getting tech-wise from you. Yeah, so I'll, I just want to clarify from two points. The steamship lines, yes, are our customers. Our main users, the one who are on the platform the most, right, using quality day-to-day are the truckers. As I said, coming in to find equipment, like I said, through that empty container marketplace to find the equipment they need for dual transaction or for export or requesting the street turn to the steamship line. As far as the steamship line, how they interact and how they're using it, you know, how we do business with them, as we said, the main thing they're looking at is the information, the data. As you may have heard, a lot of steamship lines have already created these initiatives around reducing their carbon emissions by yep. 2040, 2050 being net neutral. So another aspect that's very important is capturing the amount of miles and emissions saved. And we do that down to the street address level, right? As I said, we're tracking that in a very detailed way based on the miles saved that are reduced from not going to the port and picking up new empty containers or terminating extra empty container legs. Right. Those, we're tracking all of that. And so the way they're looking at it is they're interacting with the information, the data. And then they're also, like I talked about with actionable data, they have the ability to release or sequester, right, containers that they need in the markets they need. Right. So that's how the main way they're interacting. So when I think about this is like getting, getting back to it, I could be taking a full container, delivering it to a warehouse and rather than me taking that once it's empty, I could take that back empty 50 miles back to the port for somebody else to pick it up. But a better way would be if I had information that told me across the street or two blocks away is another load that needs to be taken to the to the port. Now we've saved a lot of hassle. We've kept the driver yes. busy. We're not driving empty miles. And again, we, we all know in over-the-road trucking, we don't want to drive empty miles. But that also exactly. applies to these containers. And, you know, when we can eliminate those trips, it saves a lot of money. And it also is good for the environment. And so, and again, if you look at the steamship lines, they, they want to keep their containers moving. So these are all... All very positive. So now, do you sell a technology to these companies, and who do you sell it to, and what? Do they, how do they interact with you? Yeah. So the platform is for now in the markets that we operate in free for truckers, and that is crucial because I want to be clear: is like none of this happens without them, right? They're the right. ones who are moving the containers, right? The miles are not reduced, the emissions are not saved. It's a big win the for them, then. 
Yes. So trucking companies can come on and use this platform right now for free. And the way we, we keep that free, like we said, is by partnering, like you said, with the steamship lines and by partnering with the exporters as well, because the exporters want to have more of their freight covered. Right? That's part of it is that they don't get all their bookings fulfilled every week. You know, we, we, we deal with a few of the larger exporters here on the West Coast and then a couple on the East Coast as well. And some of their operators, their daily life is they go to their email and they send out a blast to every trucker they know. Hey, how, who has OOC? Who, I need 50 OCL. I need 100 MERSC. I need 100 CMA. I need 200 MSC containers in the next two weeks. Who's got them? And they're getting these emails ad, ad hoc. Yeah, oh, that, I've got two. Oh, wait. Good way to on, thurs, on, on Thursday, I'll have five. On, on, on Saturday, I'll have, I'll have two. Can you, do, can you imagine? And it's a nightmare. It's managing that as a nightmare. And so that's where our system also helps standardize that and allows them to exporters to gain access to the equipment they need quickly, right, from, the, from these truckers and source that. So... There's, there, those are the ways we do that. And we're pushing a, 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 a product for them, for the exporters used directly. But for now, they're able to have their truckers, the truckers they already work with, be more successful. Because if I work with Sean's scrap metal, you know, I'm, I'm looking for containers. And uh, Joe's Trucking, who works for Sean's scrap metal, says, oh, you know, I don't have 50 MERS containers. But hold on. I went onto the quality marketplace and I found 25 that are just a few miles away from you, right? Just down the road. So I'm going to send my drivers there, grab those empties and get loaded. So guess what? Same thing. I didn't have to go to the send my drivers to the port to pick up a brand new empty container at the, that's sitting there on the dock. And I didn't have to have him wait in line at the terminal. Again, all these things. And you know what else is a, an ancillary benefit that it's not talked about a lot is that when it's those type of moves, just at least the yard to yard part, if it's just moving the container there, you don't even have to have drivers with a Twit card. And for those who don't know, to go in and, in and outside of the ports, truckers need to have something which is called a, a Twit card, which is a transportation worker identification card. I, I have one even in here from when, <laughs> from my days back at the trucking companies. But you need that to go in and out of the port. So now you have even a bigger pool of drivers when you're doing yard-to-yard moves because they don't need that requirement. They can have a commercial driver's license. They could be an over-the-road driver and still hook them as if it's just a... Uh, a power only move where they're hooking, they're going, grabbing a container and then transferring it. So it, it really does open it up for them. In so, terms is it, of the so is your goal to grow your list of, of steamship lines you're working with? We are already working with the really yeah. big ones and also to grow your list of trucking companies that you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So our goal at Quale is we want to work with the, the four main stakeholders who benefit from the street turn and from empty repositioning and triangulation which are the trucking companies who save directly, as we said, on the bottom line, the margin and uh, the fuel savings, right? They get make more money, don't have to send the drivers driving as many Stop. miles. Less wasted the, time. Less wasted time. And then, yeah, it, it, growing the amount of trucking companies we work with in other markets as well, especially in um, New York, New Jersey, Savannah, Memphis, where we've expanded a lot recently and we're, we're, we're trying to expand our partnerships with more trucking companies there. And then, as you said, yes, working with more steamship lines. I think we currently support six on the West Coast here and for, for L.A. We'll be moving to Oakland soon as well with, with those partners in March here. And then we also want to work with more exporters to make sure their freight gets covered. So 
the steamship lines, we talked about the benefits to them, data, the carbon emissions information, but also preventing them from spending extra money on repositioning empties they don't need to, sourcing the empties near their customers, right? That's the big deal. And then the exporters who get this capacity. Normally, they send out a booking for 400 containers a week. Maybe they cover 150, 220. So who pays you and what's the format for your pay? Do you get paid by transactions or... Yeah, so the pricing model is it's it's different depending on every every deal. We're we're more flexible. The standard is is the steamship lines are paying us on a transaction basis because we're we're based on results, right? Um, that's how I am. I I don't want to be another software freight tech company in the space who says, all right, you know, hey enterprise businesses, let's charge you you know a million dollars a year. And I, I promise our solution works. It's going to help you. We're well, it's, it's, before, nice right? that you, it's nice that <laughs> you're in a position where you can basically count the transactions and, so, and, show, and show them and then build them accordingly. Exactly. And, and this way, it's based on results. So we're saying we're, you're only paying for what's been reduced, for what's been saved, for what's been counted, right? And so you don't feel like you're getting a, a bad deal that way. So, so you're already obviously in L.A. and Long Beach. Um, what, what other ports are you currently working out of? Yeah. So we also support, like I said, uh, New York, New Jersey. We support Memphis, Savannah, Houston. And then actually we're just now we're launching, like I said, Oakland is coming in March. And we also are now supporting with a new pilot for certain steamship lines. We'll be in Kansas City, Chicago, Miami, Vancouver, and Montreal as well. So we're, we've grown a lot and over the last year, and we've expanded very quickly even in the last few months. Uh, so we've been able to facilitate more requests. So right now, the, the goal for us is obviously we want to spread the word for more truckers because they, again, like I said, for right now, it's, it's free for them to use. And we want them to see the benefit and, and be able to, to maximize the use of their empties. And it's kind of, what I said at the beginning, you can even go on our website. There's a calculator. You can see if you just have, you know, depending on how many loads you terminate per week at the port. Hey, I, I send, you know, 20, 20 drivers every week to just drive an empty back. Well, guess what? Without a dual transaction, single legs, or I do 40 or 50, depending on how much you pay them and how many legs you do per week, I can tell you exactly how much money as a trucking company you could save per year by putting your containers on the Quale empty container marketplace and letting someone else grab it for you. Because all of a sudden, hey, oh, great, I don't have to deal with that. I was having trouble terminating that one high, or I was having trouble terminating that OCL. But now, great, someone else was able to come to my yard and do it. It's, right? it's interesting because the shipping container, you know, when we talked before we hit the record button, it changed everything. We would not have global trade as we have it today without this box and there's by the way there's i've mentioned this before in my podcast there's a book called the box how the shipping container made the world smaller and the world's economy bigger and it's very true loading and loading and unloading a ship was so expensive that most products couldn't be sold overseas until we created these containers so it is it is a, a component that we overlook. You see it rusting in a parking lot. You don't give it a second thought. It is one of the keys to the global economy. And my, my father told me this when I was young. He said, I used to be, I used to work at, my grandfather ran um, 
the produce division of uh, A&P, the, the grocery store. And so Dad said, we, me and my brothers would go and unload boxcars. And that was the way you did it. before the, And he says, you have no idea how big a boxcar is until you've unloaded it. Well, when you think about it, what we do now is we fill that container in China and it moves across the ocean. And the next time it gets unloaded is at a warehouse or a factory somewhere. In the past, that truck would have been unloaded into a ship using, if you watch an old movie, you'll see them. They got nets, nets. that they're lowering nets. stuff. Enormous theft, enormous damage. These places were lawless. The ports were a mess. And super dangerous too. Longshoremen get paid very well now, but for generations, those guys were died on the job. So this component, this shipping container has changed everything. It did. 1956, you know, Ryan McLean. Thank you, Mr. McLean. Yeah. changed the world. And by the way, if you guys read that book, it talks about the shipping container was basically uh, somebody trying to get around New York traffic. Was his name McLean Trucking? And they put, they took a trailer, put it on a boat, and moved it around the East Coast so you could avoid some New York, Philadelphia traffic. And they didn't give it a second thought. And I think multiple people kind of ran across the same idea at different times. But once we perfected it on this, in the 60s, 70s, it changed everything. Global economy would not be the global economy. All the inexpensive, high-quality goods that we have sitting around us. Absolutely. Wouldn't be there without the box. And so it's super important that we manage those efficiently. If we're wasting time on them, it means we're driving costs into the system. Yeah, I come back to that that number that 90%, over 90% of everything you see, every all goods, were moved on a shipping container, right? Some people outside of logistics don't think about it, but you know, air freight is very expensive per square foot, per pound, everything. Air freight is very expensive. And... If it comes international, that's the only two ways it's coming, by boat or by air. We don't have the, uh, you know, the tubes yet. Maybe one day <laughs> we'll get the, we'll have a, you know, just like at the bank. But we don't, uh, we don't have those yet. So 90% of everything you see is, is coming through on an ocean container. And like you said, it, 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 because it reduced the amount of damage that could occur in claims related to shipping, it was a huge, huge innovation, and it, it allowed it everything improved to just the efficiency. Made it possible for us to, to have the global trade we have. So, yeah, if you guys haven't already checked out that book, you need to do so. I'll put a link in the show notes. And while we're talking about this, as I, I mentioned to you before we hit record, there's a book, uh, "The End of the World Is Just the Beginning," and it talks about the changing world. Um, and uh, by the way, there is a chapter uh, that's by Peter Zion. There is a chapter that talks about, I call it Maersk, but you call it the, probably the proper name. What is it? How do you pronounce Maersk? Mer- Maersk? No, Maersk. it's Maersk. Maersk. It's Maersk. <laughs> Maersk. It's Maersk. It's a, okay. So there's a whole chapter on just that company. And uh, we've built our supply chains on a planet with with trading systems. As those trading systems change, and they are changing, we're going to have to figure out new ways to, to, to do this faster, better, cheaper. Let's wrap this bad boy up. So um, I'm going to ask you, ask answer in any order you want, Sean. So what's next for you? What's next for Quale? And then what's next for this industry? And then when we talk about the industry, I guess we'll talk, keep it to the box and how we utilize that best. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I will, going back, since we're on the topic of the box, I think it is interesting to think what the next box will be. 
in shipping, right? In logistics, what's the next big invention going to be that actually revolutionizes the world? Because before we, we could use one, we could use, we could definitely <laughs> use one, right? We're talking about the issues we've seen. We could use a big revolution and more that more of a revolution than we need a bigger boat, right? It can't be just Jaws where now from 12,000 TUs to 15,000 TUs to 22,000 TUs, we have a bigger vessel. That can't be the end-all, be-all solution. Some people say it's, you know, hardware, the GPS tracking, right? Haypag Lloyd is launching uh, into their container fleet. They hope to have it full on, I think their entire global fleet by the end of the year is full IoT GPS tracking on every container, know where it is. That's great. But if to know where it is, do you know whose yard that is? Do you know what that address is? Because I can tell you, maybe if Google Maps, if you're unless you don't have an integration to something else like a system like ours that knows what exporter, what importer that is, again, data is useless unless you can action on it. So yeah, I I hope I hope you know they want the GPS. Is that the next thing? Is that the next box? Is that really going to save visibility? I, I imagine there's. Know. I imagine they're already talking this way, but um, I'm sure this conversation will get a lot more interesting when they can say, "I have, I, I made an investment in this box, and I want it moving twenty four twenty four seven. I want to be paid on that box." And somebody says, "Well, that's not possible." Well, can I be paid twenty four six? Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. a half, right? Exactly. I just don't want my container sitting around, right? Yeah. I want to be making money on it. It's an investment. Yeah, no no dwelling. Exactly. I think that will be part of the push. And I know O&E also has uh, partnered with a different provider to do similar GPS servicing on their boxes. I think that's going to help. I don't think maybe that's the next box. There's going to be something else big. And I wonder what it will be. I've heard somebody say, and maybe you said it, I don't know, but I would not be shocked if we had boxes that went one way. Right, and I won't say disposable because that causes other other grief in our system. But we are shipping boats with empty containers, and that costs a lot of money. We have to figure out a way to do that better. We, we do. don't like empty miles, even if over the ocean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As far as what's next for Quale uh, for us, as I said, we're we're rapidly expanding right now in, into more ports, and what we want to do with that is show the value, bring more value to the people who are struggling. Because what we hear when I talk to trucking companies is, you know, oh yeah, the volume's down. I'm still busy. (laughs) Volume's down. It's still slow. I'm still busy. And it's this hard, it's hard to wrap your head around. We're like, oh yeah, it's, you know, the supply chain crisis is over, right? The boxes, there's no boxes in the yard. Your friend is like, who am I going to lease this to right now? What's the problem? There, there's still but there's problems. But there's, I always say this now is when somebody says, I'm, I'm really busy. I always say good busy or bad busy because sometimes exactly. there's bad busy where you're like, I'm scrambling trying to find a way to make a buck versus I'm busy because I have all these new customers and all these new opportunities. And I think that's the big problem many trucking companies are facing, similar to 2019 with the post-Trump tariffs, with the volume drop, where we had what was called the trucking bloodbath, where almost 1,200 trucking companies went out of business in one year, was people are afraid of another bloodbath of, oh, volume is down. What do I do to be profitable? How do I make more money? Where do I get more business? Let me tell you what, what Quale has been preaching, too, is that exports haven't gone anywhere. All the exporters we talk to is is the same drum. They've been beating the same drum for years. Is look at the loaded exports at Long Beach. 
right now, from January 2023 to March 2023, or even year over year from last year, from 2022, it's down only 0.3%. 0.3. You know how much loaded, Im- uh, so that's the loaded exports out of Long Beach right now. If you look at the loaded imports year over year from Long Beach, you know how much they're down? 23%. Whoa. 24%. So import volume, right, comes and goes in waves. Export volume right now in the U.S. is very stable. It's very consistent. The problem is of that of that volume, of those half a million TU containers, how many are actually street turned? How many are reused by containers outside the port and efficiently managed? Less than 2%. In the United States, we only street turn about 2%. In Europe, it's a little more efficient, about 8%. In Asia, uh, they're right in the middle, around 4%. So you can hear that even if you can take the amount of because the amount of savings that is is incredible because you can look at the data on our website, how many miles we've saved so far and how many emissions we've saved based on just a, on a certain amount of transactions. And you can see our volume is still not, is nothing compared to the full half a million exported TEUs that come out of just that one port market, right? We're talking one market in one country. If you could even get that to 4% to 8%, it's incredible what the return on investment is. For the trucking companies in margin, for the exporters in terms of the capacity they gain and the cost savings, in terms of the importer who is not having to pay as much in per diem is getting their boxes evacuated quicker. And for the steamship line who's selling the box both ways and actually gets it back to China sooner so they can sell it again. Right now, the rates aren't 20000 like they used to be. But guess what? They still want to get that box moving. Right, Keeping containers moving is our model. <laughs> and so for Quale, that's what's next is, is in addition to partnering with more trucking companies in more markets, and obviously we want to support, eventually we want to support every steamship line on our platform. Request any street turn with any steamship line anywhere in the world. That's the goal. But un- until then, we also want to help the exporters and importers more. So we've been having more conversations with them. If you're an importer and you think... You know, you're you're struggling managing, your truckers are struggling with equipment, there's a better way. Or if you're an exporter and your trucking companies are not matching and fulfilling your 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 demand with the steamship line specific bookings you have, talk to me. You know, I'm I'm available all the time. We we equally are the evangelists of of efficiency and reuse of, of these containers, right? Whether it's for dual, whether it's for an export, we just we want to keep those containers moving. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. I call this the not in an inappropriate way, but in a nice way. I call this like the ladies' night effect. As you get more and more truckers there, you're going to get more and more of the exporters, more and more of the steamship lines. The more steamship lines you get, the more truckers you get. It's just again, just like ladies' night, where you go, hey, how do you get a whole bunch of guys to go to a bar? Ladies' night. <laughs> and it and it's it's true. And as we said, we're we're very fortunate. Like I said. We have our partnership with Maersk, so I just want to say thank you for all the truckers who do already work with us. We work with over where I am on the West Coast. We already work with over 450-plus trucking companies, nice. so thank you. And we're growing that, as I said, in our new markets like New York, New Jersey, Savannah, Memphis, and Houston. If there's a port, you guys are going to be there. Yeah, and, and an inland one, too. That's, what's, that's what we're talking about. It's not just the marine ports. We are talking about inland terminals as well. Talking about rail, wherever you have boxes that need to get terminated or moved, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing. This is what Tyler, our CEO, says as well. It's getting the equipment out of the hands of people who don't need it 
and into the hands of people who do. You're right. You're right. That's it all. Does. That's all it is. At the end of the day, that's what that's what we want to do. We're just trying. We're trying to make that as easy as possible. It's just kind of like your investments. Like how how many how much do you want your dollar your investment to work? I put it in the stock market. I want it to work all the time, right? It's the same. These these companies have made investment in these boxes, and they want them to be uh, moving. So anyway, before we wrap this up, I like to interview smart, interesting people like yourself. Who should I have on my podcast? Yeah, let's see. Uh, one of the people I would recommend, especially if you want to get kind of a diversified look at different companies trying to innovate in the supply chain would be uh, Harvey Williams or at Plug and Play. He's he's someone who is constantly talking to and evaluating and 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 supporting supply chain companies and tech companies who are trying to innovate in that space. Uh, also, his counterpart to Frederick Bohm is also good. I think he's based here now uh, as well. Uh, he was in in the Germany branch for a while. I think he's in uh, Silicon Valley now. Yeah, and and Plug and Play's got an interesting model. I saw those guys at Manifest, and they they work with big companies that are looking to innovate and get exactly. better, and they pair them with small companies that say, "Hey, I need I need a big brother. I might need some investment. I need some guidance." And it's it's a it's a it's a great match. It's a good model, and and we've benefited from it for sure. So you've gone through there. Is it a program that you went through? I don't know. You're sure yeah, yeah, we. You know, we weren't, it wasn't like an incubator. We've done their batch as well with them. And we've met a lot of corporate partners. Yeah, ex- like you said, it's a great big brother system where companies that are slower to move, big, massive corporations, get a chance for their innovation teams to meet people in the space who are doing things quickly, move fast, break things, and are making big changes to see if there's ways they can collaborate. It was one of the ways I actually met Erez, who was just on your show. Oh, from, yeah, from Erez. <laughs> we, first, we first met at an event through Plug and Play. And I saw him at Manifest. Yes. And I interviewed him in December, I think. Yeah, so I'd recommend Har- Harvey. So he is, Erez is from Maersk, and he's uh, vice president of innovation and something or other. And yes. the, you he know, just it, got promoted yesterday. He's global head of innovation now. Congratulations. All right. Well, there's good <laughs> reason go for that. Yes. And what's interesting about it is these are huge companies and they have, you know, they have to be efficient operationally. So it's always difficult when you're a larger company to innovate. So it makes sense that they're partnering with smaller companies, not that they can't do some internally, but nobody wants you experimenting on the big accounts, right? <laughs> you got to, you got to pilot this stuff somehow. <laughs> yeah. And we've done pilots and that's the thing you, you would think that, and then, you know, sometimes it's true, but. But, you know, because of our performance and how well we've done, we've been put in the rooms with some of their big customers. You know, you're not you're not a big chance anymore. You're a, you're a sure thing. <laughs> we are the path forward for them. Yeah, in a lot of ways, which we feel very proud of and very and very humble to be able to to be in this this, this space with uh with so many people who have have, have seen what we're doing is valuable, right? Excellent. From from all different modes. Sean, what I'm going to do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website, and any other links you give me, I will put in the show notes, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, Joe, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I'm always happy to come back if uh, if you want to chat again sometime <laughs> in the future. I sure will. I, as, as I said, I have the bug. I will talk about supply chain till the wheels fall off. <laughs> thank you so much, Sean. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.